This morning's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 1, verses 2 through 7. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. This is the word of the Lord for us. In the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we're introduced to the land of Narnia. This is a land once beautiful that has now grown cold and dark. And so what happens in that book is the four Pevensey children enter through a wardrobe and they find themselves in this snow-covered landscape in a forest in Narnia. And they discover that it's been winter there for over a hundred years. And you're like, yeah, I think we can relate to that. (laughs) Evil reigns in that land. Hope seems to be lost. But with the arrival of those four children in this wonderful uh, land of Narnia, things begin to change. The inhabitants, the, the creatures that dwell in that place, they slowly begin to hope again. You see, because there's an ancient Narnian prophecy that says, before deliverance will come, two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve will appear. So these children are messengers of hope. But see, the the citizens of Narnia, their hope is not in these children. Their hopes are in another figure from the book. Anyone know who that is? Aslan, the great lion. In fact, while the children are there, they hear an old Narnian rhyme, and it goes like this. Wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bears his teeth, winter meets its death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. So these four children bring hope. But it's hope not in themselves. It's hope in the one who is coming after them the one who can bring deliverance just like how john the baptist came preparing a people for the lord jesus christ it's amazing as we look at the life of this individual from the scriptures john the baptist how he pointed to with his life with his message he pointed to jesus the one coming after me i'm i'm preparing the way and he is coming behind me he's the one who can fulfill all of our greatest hopes he's the one who can satisfy our deepest longings he came to prepare the way for the lord and that's just what we're going to talk about together this morning so let me introduce myself my name is john i am honored to serve as lead pastor here at mca thrilled that you are with us today And praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. So this is week two of a sermon series on the life of John the Baptist that we're calling A Voice in the Wilderness. We're studying for five weeks this extraordinary man, the one who went before Christ to uh, prepare his people. So we learned last week that his birth was prophesied. 
Uh, we know that. We often hear that around the Christmas season in Luke chapter 1, that, that his was indeed a miraculous life. That his mom, Elizabeth, was old and she was barren. And yet God had a plan. God had a purpose for his life, that the Lord's hand was with him. So we're going to go to John the Baptist all grown up. Even though he lives in the wilderness, he lives in this really rugged, difficult desert region, he begins to have a following. He begins to have a ministry. So he preaches. He preaches repentance and that the kingdom of God is near. And he begins to baptize people. And he begins to tell them about the Messiah that is coming. So turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. We'll be in several of the Gospels this morning. Each of the four Gospels tells uh, the story of John the Baptist. So let's go to Matthew chapter 3. And starting in verse 1. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. For he is the one spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, who said, A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. So the quote here, by the way, we can do a deep dive. I feel like we've got time uh, this morning and through this series to, to go deeply into the word of God and see exactly what's there. But the, the quote that's used there is from Isaiah chapter 40, specifically verse 3. So if we consider the context then of Isaiah 40, we understand that it is the return of the exiles coming back from their Babylonian ca captivity. Now, we've learned as, as we have studied other books in the scripture that because of the sin of God's people, he allowed their enemy to come in and invade them and conquer them and carry them off into exile. So they were taken as captives into Babylon. And it's in Isaiah 40 that God is promising to them that they're surely going to return. You'll be set free from your captivity. You'll come home. You will no longer be slaves. And so there's a voice crying that a road needs to be made for those exiles to go from Babylon back home to Israel. There's a road that needs to be made. There are steep grades that need to be leveled. There are potholes, maybe, that need to be filled. And again, you're like, okay, we can relate to what's happening in this story. We're talking about a hundred-year winter, potholes needing filled. <laughs> but the voice is essentially saying, it's time for you to come out of slavery and go home to the place where God wants you to be. But it's going to be a long and difficult journey. And so we need someone to go as a scout ahead of you. To make sure that the dangerous places have been identified. That we've smoothed things out as much as we're able so that you know. That maybe even set mile markers along the way. So that you know how to get home. Everything's got to be made smooth for my people to return. Because God is ready to deliver his people. So that's the context for Isaiah 40. And in the same way that in the New Testament, before our Lord Jesus appears, comes John. And he's saying, prepare yourself for God's salvation, for God's deliverance. So he was the voice that God used to prepare his people for the salvation that is surely coming through the Lord Jesus Christ. We should also point out that there were 400 years of silence between the Old Testament 
and the New Testament. So the last prophet in the Old Testament is Malachi. In fact, why don't we turn to the book of Malachi and turn to the last chapter in the book of Malachi and look at the last verses of the last chapter in the book of Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. So these are the very last words in the Old Testament. If we go to Malachi, it's chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. See, the Lord says through the prophet, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. These are the last words in the Old Testament. Just before a period of 400 years of silence. Now, now God wasn't silent during that time, but we don't have any prophets speaking the word of the Lord during that time. It's a prophecy about John the Baptist. Remember, he comes in the spirit and power of Elijah, even the descriptions. Last week in Sunday school, we kind of looked that up. What, well, how was Elijah described? How was John the Baptist described? They wore the same kind of uh, unique, abnormal, strange clothing. This is a prophecy about John the Baptist. Now let's turn to Mark chapter 1. This is where Steph read for us a few moments ago. I will also just point out that Mark is widely considered to be the first book written in the New Testament. Okay, I know in our canonical listing we have Matthew and then Mark, but Mark is widely considered to be having, having been written first in the New Testament. So if we go from the very last words in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament that Elijah is coming, which Elijah is long gone and dead by that point, and 400 years of silence into some of the first words spoken in the New Testament in Mark chapter 1. Let's just jump to verse 4 where it says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So here, here we have Elijah is coming, 400 years of silence, and then the voice comes in John the Baptist. An Elijah figure saying, prepare the way. The time has come. The Messiah will soon be here. So John was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. He was sent to proclaim this good news. And the people flocked to him. As strange and unique as he was, in the rugged and difficult terrain where he found himself, people flocked to him. In fact, the next verse there. So we're in Mark chapter 1, verse 5. The whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem, went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So they flock to this individual. He's, he is strange. He is unique. He is in a desert wilderness place. And yet, he is the voice who says, people, after 400 years of silence, think of the land of Narnia. It's been winter for 100 years, and the four Pevensey children have arrived. Like, Aslan is coming back. When he shakes his mane, we will have spring again. So this is the role of John the Baptist. He's got good news. You know, sometimes we try to soften uh, bad news with a little bit of good news. Do you guys ever do that? The, well, I've got good news and bad news things. It reminds me of a son who called his father one time. The dad says, I'm sorry, I'm totally swamped right now. We just need to talk later. The son says, yeah, but I got good news and bad news. The dad says, listen, just give me the good news. We'll talk later. The son says, okay, fine. 
uh, I thought you'd be very happy to know that the airbags work in our new car. No, John the Baptist came with the good news. The Messiah is coming. Jesus is coming. God is going to deliver us. We've been enslaved to our sin, and he is coming. So here's what I want to do with the rest of our time together. We're going to look more at the message of John the Baptist. We're going to see how he's pointing others to Jesus. He doesn't want the focus on himself. It's, it's look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And so we're going to be um, encouraged this morning that in the same way, that's what our lives should do. That our lives should be pointing others to Jesus. Um, I know pointing is impolite, <laughs> but this is the one uh, exception. We can be pointing to Jesus. We're going to see from the scriptures this morning as we walk through it that he told others about Jesus. He showed others Jesus. And he led others to Jesus. So if you're a note taker, those are our three points for this morning. That we tell others, we show others, and we lead others to Jesus. So we are to tell others about Jesus. This was really the biggest part of the ministry of John the Baptist. That he told others about Jesus. What a great challenge for each and every one of us today. Are we telling people about Jesus? How often do you talk about the Lord? How often are you mentioning God and sharing testimonies of how he is at work in your life? John had a testimony. He had a story. He had a message. You do too. You too have a message. A message of good news. You have a message of hope. To a world in despair. Each and every one of us has a story. Each and every one of us has, a, has good news to share. So if we go to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 15, it says, John testified concerning him. That's a little bit of a churchy word, isn't it? Like, you're going to testify, right? It just means he spoke about him. It's like he told others about Jesus. And we can do the same thing. He testified concerning him. That is Jesus. It says, he cried out, saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. So you begin to realize this wasn't the first time. He's like, that's the one I've been telling you about. It's him. It's Jesus. And this is a really important theological point, too, where we need to pause and reflect on something that we, we cannot miss here. So John the Baptist came before the physical birth of Jesus. John the Baptist began his public ministry before the public ministry of our Lord Jesus, but Jesus existed way before John. So we need to make sure we've got this theological point down. This is why John says here, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Almost sounds like a riddle. He comes after me, has surpassed me, he was before me. So I don't want us to be confused about this. Jesus has existed for all time. So when we say John comes before Jesus, we're talking about his birth happened before the physical birth of Jesus. His public ministry happened before the public ministry of Jesus. But Jesus is fully God and has existed for all time. There was never a time where there wasn't Jesus. In fact, read John chapter 1 and you will fully understand what I'm talking about. Read John chapter 1 and, you, and you'll get this. 
But here's the point. John was prepared to witness. John was prepared to share about Christ. You know, in so many ways, I think one of our greatest needs is preparation. Because if you want to make a church squirm, just say the word evangelism. If you want to make people in the pews or seats in the church go, oh, just say, are you telling other people about Jesus? I think the greatest need we have is preparation. The greatest need we have is, are we ready? Because my hunch is we're missing opportunity after opportunity after opportunity because we're not ready. John was a guy who was fully locked and loaded and ready to go. And when the people came out to him in the wilderness, he just let it loose. So in the same way, we need to be ready to go and then looking for those opportunities to share Jesus. Ready to go and then praying for people that God will put in our path. Praying for people that God will put in our life. And we can offer those words of hope. We can offer those words of encouragement. We can share the hope that we have found in Christ. We can talk about, you'll never believe what God has done. He's so good. He's amazing. We need to be prepared. In fact, preparation, you know this in your work. You know this as a parent. Preparation is really important. You've got to be prepared. I heard about a priest who wasn't quite properly prepared. And he had a funeral to do. He just has a few minutes of time. So what he does is he goes to his computer and he pulls up the last funeral that he preached. I'll just do a quick find and replace, right? So everywhere there, where there was Mary becomes Bertha. Boom, presto, change, oh, good to go, print the notes, doing the funeral, and everything went great until near the end of the service. And he's reciting and reading the Apostles' Creed. And he declares that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Bertha. (laughs) We need to be prepared. We all need to be prepared. And when it comes to telling others about the Lord Jesus, that's one of our greatest needs. Be ready. And then look for those opportunities. The scriptures tell us this. 1 Peter 3.15. It says, always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This is what John the Baptist did. This is his life pointing to Jesus. And this is how our lives should point to Jesus as well. Tell others about the Lord Jesus. In addition, he showed others Jesus. I mean, really, this was his whole thing. His whole thing was, don't look at me. It's not me. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. He's the one that's got to become greater. I've got to become less. So, so John the Baptist just uh, is a great example of humility. And he's a guy who, honestly, he had some things he could brag about. He, he's the kind of guy who he's got a lot going for him. He is the prophesied witness. Again, if you read through John chapter 1, you'll hear all about this. But, but he is the one who, who's prophesying about the great light of God. He's the blood relative of the Messiah. His parents are of priestly lineage. He's so holy, he's never touched wine. He's a Nazarite. He's taken vows of, of purity. He's never been defiled. He's never cut his hair. He's great in the sight of God. Jesus himself says this guy is the greatest. If anyone had a reason to brag or boast or think highly of themselves, 
It's John the Baptist. And yet, he just wants to show others Jesus. And that's what he does time and time again. So he, he develops this ministry where he's got a huge following. He's got disciples. You know, oftentimes we think of it was Jesus who had disciples. Well, he's not the only one who had disciples. John had disciples. He's got a following. He's got a ministry. He's got a public platform. Everyone knows him. He's got people following him. And he just wants to point them to Jesus. So if we turn back to Mark chapter 1. Again, I realize we're jumping around several of the Gospels this morning. But in Mark chapter 1 and then verse 7. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. After me. So I'm not the end all be all. Thanks for coming out to the wilderness. I've got some really good news for you. There's someone else and he's way more important than I. After me comes one. He's more powerful than I. He says, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. He is so sold out on pointing others to Jesus. He is willing to lower himself. He is willing to humble himself. So we'll see it in, uh, I think it's next week or the week following, in John chapter 3 and verse 30 where he says, He must become greater. I must become less. Well, naturally then, with the uh, attraction that he is drawing, so he's the biggest name in the area, and all these people are going out there, the religious leaders start to wonder what he's up to. Again, this, this, this all happens in John chapter 1. So they send some people out, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. Why don't you guys go out and just poke around a little bit, see what's happening with this guy? So they go out and begin questioning him about who he is. And the first words off his lips, I am not the Messiah. Those are the first words off of his lips. He's like, listen, I know what you're getting at. I know you're curious. I am not the Messiah. How much we can learn from John the Baptist and his humility. Because our tendency is, look at me. Our tendency is, I want you to think well of me. And so we spend so much time based on what other people think. We spend so much effort on, we want people to think of us. We want people to think well of us. And yet, God wants our lives to simply point to Jesus. Like John the Baptist doesn't matter how great I am, but let me tell you about how amazing Christ is. So even as John baptizes people, we see this in Mark chapter 1, the next verse is verse 8. Even as he baptizes people, he tells them how much better it is. He's like, hey, this is great. You're entering the waters of baptism. How much better it's going to be when Jesus comes. He says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We were blessed, by the way, just last Sunday uh, to baptize Emma. And to see her young life, bold and courageous, willing to live for Christ. And I would just uh, suggest to you this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you've never done that, you've never been baptized, you should consider it. That it's an opportunity to put on public display. You're choosing to walk in obedience. You You have been made new because of Christ. Washed clean and ready to make a public confession. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a child of God. So if you have questions about that, I would love to sit down and talk. But again, I think the temptation, we're talking about John the Baptist. He pointed others to Jesus. He told them about Jesus, but he also showed them Jesus. 
And the, the temptation for you and I is we try to draw attention to ourselves. We want people to look at us. We want, you know, uh, it starts early, you know, when you're the mommy and you've got your kids at the playground and all they do is mommy, 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 mommy. And you're like, yeah. And they're like, look at this. And you're like, she's on a swing. Back and forth, back and forth, you know, like, but you go, good job. You're swinging. Like it begins early. It begins then on the playground when you shout out incessantly. Over and over, mommy, 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 look at me. In fact, I brought a clip this morning because uh, in what some call the greatest trash talking in all of sports history, <laughs> a professional bowler by the name of Pete Weber spouted off in a very memorable and hilarious way after he won a bowling tournament. So check this out. Strike to claim it. A strike to claim it. And he got it! I had to edit that out, by the way. He uses some very colorful, foul language. Um, but he goes, who do you think you are? I am. It's like, that doesn't even make sense, but it's hilarious. You knock down pins with a ball. <laughs> this guy was known as just an egotistical, kind of interesting individual. Uh, and this happened 10 years ago. But the reason I show it is because it's so easy to make fun of when you see it from an outside perspective. And yet, really, this is a picture of us. That we're all, we're all guilty at times of how, how we behave and how we view ourselves like, man, I did it. Look at me. John shows us Jesus. John is an example of a humble servant, and his only goal was to push others to Jesus. He didn't want recognition. He didn't want disciples. He just wanted others to follow Jesus. He just wanted to obey. So we've talked about how we can tell others about Jesus. We can show others Jesus. And the final way we see John pointing others is by leading them to Christ. We should lead others to Jesus. So we all know that when it's time for a road trip or when you need to go somewhere, you use your navigation. That we just, we don't live without it. In our current context, it's like, yeah, just, just give me the address. I'll put it in. I'll put it in my iPhone. We'll put it in the, the GPS, put it in my navigation because it leads you. It tells you where to turn. It tells you which roads you need. It tells you when to merge, get into the left lane, exit coming up on the, and now you've arrived. And this is just what John did is that he led people to Christ. He, he showed the way to Jesus because he himself was a follower of Jesus. This is really, I would say, the difference between giving someone directions and then going with them. So uh, it's down the hall on the left versus come with me. I'll take you. That, that's the difference here. So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1 and go to verse 35. We see John leading others to the Lord Jesus. So John chapter 1. Verse 35, it says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. 
And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. John didn't say, whoa, whoa, whoa come back. John didn't say, I, I'm, I'm trying to build up my own following. I want more people on Twitter who are listening to me. He said, yeah, that's the one. Go to him. I've told you about him. I, I've shown you his heart. I, I've, I've become less and pointed only to him. And now I've led you to him. Follow Jesus. What a great challenge for us that we would lead others to Jesus. He's told them about Jesus. In fact, he showed them Jesus just the day before. So again, you will read through John chapter 1, hopefully. And you'll see this in verse 29, that it's the day before. And he says, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that was just the day before. But now, in verse 35 and following, he leads them to Jesus. No longer are they John's disciples. They're now followers of Jesus. By the way, this happened in just the days before the Passover celebration. And I want to talk about that this morning, the, the significance of that. The focus of the Passover was the sacrifice of the lamb. The lamb served as a reminder, of course, of God's deliverance of his people when they were captives in Egypt. So this is going way back when, when they were in bondage all the way following the time of Joseph. And so you can read about this in Exodus chapter 12. We won't turn there this morning, but it's in that deliverance where God commands each family, you are to kill a lamb. And you're to wipe its blood on the doorposts of your home. See, God was going to send death to every home except for those that had blood on the post of the door. So it was those homes that would be passed over. That's why it's called the Passover. And so the Jews were then instructed and continued to gather each year to celebrate, to remember the Passover, to remember what God had done, that God had been faithful And so then each family would bring a lamb to the temple. It would be sacrificed on the altar. Although I should say, lambs weren't sacrificed exclusively at Passover. They were sacrificed regularly. In fact, every day, two lambs were sacrificed in the temple. There was one that was killed in the morning. There was one that was killed in the evening. Now, you'll remember, John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was a priest. So imagine John in his younger years as a boy, and every day, Papa is coming home from work, and his clothes are just bloodstained. Like, yikes! What were you doing, Dad? Well, we were sacrificing the lambs, son. So John would have seen this twice a day. He he would have been familiar with this. Maybe you go, well, what is going on with that? Why were they slaughtering two lambs each day? The death of the lamb was necessary because of their sin. Blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sins. That's Hebrews 9.22. And these lambs that were slaughtered, the ones that they used during the Passover feast, the ones that were slaughtered morning and evening in the temple every day, these lambs pointed to the ultimate lamb of God whose blood would be shed so that all sins would be forgiven. Jesus is the lamb of God. So that's what John is pointing out to his disciples who become followers of Jesus. That this is the Lamb of God. There's a prophecy about it in Isaiah chapter 53. 
In verse 7, it says, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. God sent the perfect, spotless lamb, the one who could pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus, the lamb of God, he's the one who endured death, not us, because he took our place. He was our substitute. And you see, it's his death only that is sufficient to pay for our sins. Only the death of Jesus can pay the penalty that can satisfy the wrath of God because he is the lamb of God. He's not a lamb of God. He is the lamb of God. It's only through Jesus. It's only because of his blood poured out that we can have the forgiveness of our sin. And if we go all the way then to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 5, we get a glimpse of heaven. And it's there that we see the worship of heaven. And in the center of the worship is Jesus. And he's the Lamb of God. It says there was a lamb there looking like it had been slain. And there are creatures and there are elders and there are multitudes and there are angels and they're all worshiping this lamb. And so in Revelation 5 and verse 12, it says, In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That's heaven. That's the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who made a way for us to enter eternity based on what he did taking our place when he went to the cross. And in so doing, by the, by the death of our Lord Jesus and by his powerful resurrection, he has conquered sin. He has conquered death. He has conquered hell itself by sacrificing himself. Yes, Jesus is the Lamb of God. When John says, look, the Lamb of God, it's not like, oh, hey, look at that guy, like you and I do. Hey, check her out. No. He's saying, you better look because I don't want you to miss that that is him. That is the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the one I've been telling you about, the one I've been showing you, the one I am now leading you to and urging you to offer your life. That is the Lamb of God. He's the one who took God's wrath upon himself. He's the one who took your place. He's the one that if his blood is on you, the death angel passes over. There's a dramatic scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe with Aslan the Lion. If you've read the book or seen the movie, you know this. But he marches to the stone table where he's willingly giving his life to the White Witch. He did so to free the children. And he's killed there. And so the two Pevensey girls, Lucy and Susan, they cry themselves to sleep at the lion's feet. And they're just feeling hopeless because then the wicked witch marches off and she's declaring war on Narnia. But in that moment, something happens. The rising sun makes everything look different. All the shadows turn into colors. For a moment, the girls don't see the most important thing, but then they see it. That that stone table has actually been broken into two pieces. There's a big crack that runs all the way from the top to the bottom. And there's no Aslan. He's not there. 
I'll read for us the, the passage. Oh, 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 cried the two girls, rushing to the table. Oh, it's too bad, sobbed Lucy. They might have left the body alone. Who's done it? cried Susan. What does it mean? And then they heard a great voice behind their backs, and they looked around, and there, shining in the sunrise, larger than they'd ever seen him before, shaking his mane, stood Aslan himself. (laughs) What a great picture of the Lord Jesus. Triumphant over death. The Lamb of God slain. Jesus, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who offered himself as a sacrificial lamb. Why? So that sinners like us could be forgiven. So that people in despair might be infused with hope and the hope of eternity. So that God's wrath would be satisfied. Death would be broken. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. And so this morning, friends, we're challenged by the life of John the Baptist. He was a mighty man in God's kingdom. And yet he just pointed to Jesus. Oh, that our lives would do the same. So I want to urge us this morning to be prepared. First, it begins with preparing our own hearts for Christ to be king. That through the power of Jesus, he transforms lives. And that we would offer ourselves completely and entirely for God's purposes. That we would be humble That we would pray, he would become greater, we would become less. That our lives would only point to Jesus. That he would then use us to tell others about Jesus and to show others Jesus and to even lead others to Christ himself, all for his glory alone. Let's pray together. Thank you. Almighty God, for sending your son, Jesus, the lamb. Thank you, Lord, for sending John the Baptist (laughs) to say, hey, it's time. It's get ready. Prepare the way. He's coming. The king is coming. Lord, may we hear that this morning and may we follow suit that our lives would be lived out for your glory, that when people look at us and hear us and walk with us, they would only be pointed to you. So Lord, I would be so bold this morning in your very presence, oh God, to pray. Would you use us to share the life-giving power of Jesus with the world? Lord, I know that might mean it's uncomfortable. And Lord, I know that might mean I sacrifice. But Lord, would you use us? That others would hear the hope of Christ. That they would come from darkness into the light. That you would rescue them. God, you're the one who delivers. You're the one who saves. And we thank you that you've done that in our lives. And we say, continue to work in us, Lord. That we would walk in full obedience to you. Giving you glory giving you honor for you are worthy you are the lamb that was slain you have conquered sin and death and made a way for each and every one of us oh lord we're so grateful so thank you for your word and thank you for the things we've learned here in this place lord that we would then live them out that by your holy spirit you would help us lord help us to keep in step with your spirit and live fruitful lives 
Loosen our tongues to speak of your goodness. Use our lives to shine brightly in a dark world. All for your name's sake. We thank you, Lord, and we pray it only in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.